You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. People in Southern California really love it. It's mostly about going there, like driving through and eating in your car. And they have this kind of secret menu. It's not written anywhere. You just learn from someone who tried this thing or or heard from a friend. Like you can get animal style fries, which is just like cheesy fries with onions. I heard this rumor when I was a teenager. If you go through the drive-through in reverse, so your car is fully backwards, you get a free chocolate shake for each person in the car. I was driving a 1992 Nissan Maxima that was a color I like to call electric beige. And it's like a really windy drive-through. So it's like you have to kind of do these reverse turns. I don't know that it was worth it. It was so difficult to go through this kind of bumper to bumper burger traffic backwards with a car full of other teens, Um, but I've now done it. It was delicious. That was former SoCal teen Aiden Ling talking about the secret menu at the beloved regional burger chain In-N-Out. Whether it's off-the-record menu offerings or exclusive underground restaurants, the food space is no stranger to secrecy. This week on Meet and 3, we're uncovering closely guarded secrets of the industry. We'll investigate why some recipes are shrouded in mystery and the complicated methods businesses employ to keep them confidential. We'll also see how some secrets travel across generations to reveal fascinating bits of family history. Finally, we'll hear from cooks and chefs whose kitchen secrets may transform your own cooking. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meet and 3 on HRN. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and 3. While we might not realize it, the foods we eat, cook, and share are often layered with secrecy. For example, athletes care a lot about how they fuel and the quality of their energy. Yet they may never fully understand all the ingredients in their sports drinks. Bianca Garcia investigates the closely guarded world of proprietary blends that athletes rely on for nutrition. Athletes of every level strive towards the win, the personal record. Collegiate athletes more so than most. For some, it's the beginning of a lifetime in professional sport. For others, it's the peak of their career after years of training and before the beginning of so-called real life. The stakes are high and maximizing performance starts with fueling your body just right. Or, as some supplement companies might have you believe, it starts with a can of your favorite energy drink. Not all energy drinks are created equal at least not according to the National Collegiate Athletics Association, known widely as the NCAA. The NCAA regulates half a million college athletes on 19,886 teams in 24 sports, 
and they aim to support athletes so that they can, quote, succeed in the classroom, on the field, and for life. This is why they have a banned substances list of more than 82 items long, ranging from narcotics to peptide hormones. Most shockingly, a certain class of energy drinks that is widely available on the consumer market contains banned substances. Think brands like Celsius or Bang. What makes supplements like Celsius or Bang banned substances by the NCAA is related to their proprietary blends, which are defined by the Council of Responsible Nutrition as a, quote, unique formulation of ingredients in a dietary supplement. The quantities and ratios of ingredients are considered a trade secret, a special recipe. Celsius, for example, contains stimulants like guarana, which are banned for athletes in high quantities. But because of the proprietary blend, you never know how much guarana you're taking in. In addition, Celsius does not undergo third-party testing by the NSF, the National Sanitation Foundation, and is therefore not considered completely safe for student-athlete consumption. I spoke to Alyssa Harrington about proprietary blends in energy drinks. She is a sports dietitian at Cornell University, an NCAA Division I school, home to 35 sports teams. Part of her role is to give nutrition counseling to athletes. I asked her what made her want to work with this population. I think it's because I was an NCAA athlete. I ran track in college uh, many years ago, um, but we didn't have any access to nutrition when I was an athlete. So I think if, you know, just being an athlete most of my life, I'm just, I love the population and I want to make sure that those NCAA athletes have the same or better opportunities than I did when I was in college. Alyssa helps athletes decide what to consume to maximize their performance. This includes counseling over supplements. Part of what makes nutrition supplements so obscure to athletes, and what Alyssa helps us elucidate, is the proprietary blends. Proprietary blend is something that manufacturers use um, as a marketing tool. It's a way to kind of sound very fancy about the ingredients um, and deceive you um, about what's really in some of their products and supplements. The Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994 states that dietary supplements aren't required to undergo any testing to make sure that they're safe um, before being sold. Whereas like a nutrition facts label or a drugs facts label for prescription medications have much stricter testing and regulations. So they're very, very different from supplement regulation. This is where the NCAA steps in to regulate what the FDA does not. A lot of these substances have been deemed to um, have harmful health effects and can have advantages over others in sport. So when you have supplements that um, you know have these banned substances in them, you can really be harming yourself or other people, and we just don't know the long-term effects on those. At the beginning of every season, NCAA athletes consent to a drug testing program Failing a drug test could mean losing a season's worth of eligibility. Drinking energy drinks with high levels of caffeine and guarana can cause an athlete to fail a drug test. I sat down to chat with an athlete at Cornell who used to drink the popular energy drink Celsius before learning about NCAA rules. Since we're talking about banned substances, this tape will be anonymous. I'm a senior at Cornell University and I'm a Division I athlete. How many years have you been a Division I athlete for? This will be my fourth year. Do you know what is in Celsius that makes it banned? I do not. 
other than it being a proprietary blend of something um, that's supposed to be performance enhancing. But I don't know what like makes it different than coffee, basically. Yeah. Or like why why coffee's okay, but Celsius specifically isn't okay. Why did you drink Celsius? Oh, uh, I think that uh, as a Division One athlete at a very academic school, uh, it can be hard to balance the time that I have in a day, and so I would end up just not sleeping as much. Drinking it before a workout could make a workout like more like easier to get through. Given the pressures of a busy academic schedule and a full season of sports, companies like Celsius have a specific marketing angle that compels well-meaning athletes to buy their product. Clean energy. Ironic, huh? Celsius is truly marketed as healthy energy. Um, I mean, even on the can of a Celsius, it says live fit. So it has a lot of claims like boosting your metabolism and that phrase to athletes is like, wow, my metabolism can be boosted. I can get this fit energy, this clean energy. Um, and it sounds very appealing. And they have all of these claims like green tea extract, and guarana seed, all of these glorified ingredients. It is just a marketing goldmine. I think it's marketed towards kids who want to be active or fit and I think that people can have like a negative connotation towards other energy drinks because they're viewed as really sugary and bad for you. Whereas like Celsius, it's supposed to be like fit and active. The industry growth for energy drinks is impressive at approximately 8.3% per year, according to various estimates. So energy enhancing supplements will have their space on the shelf for a long time to come. Brands continue to put out sugar-free and calorie-free drinks to appeal to the consumer demand of clean energy. How that marketing angle is so successful speaks to a cultural desire amongst athletes, no less student-athletes, to maximize performance and minimize risk to the body simultaneously. But these trade secrets, these proprietary blends, consuming them is the ultimate gamble between competing harder and losing the privilege of competing at all. Bianca just gave us an example of what a trade secret can look like in the food world and how businesses protect their proprietary blends and other secret recipes. From confidential recipes to top secret production techniques, trade secrets are an integral part of the industry. But how do restaurants and businesses keep them under wraps? Vaidehi Kudyadi explores the legal world of secrecy in food. For restaurants and businesses, to keep their recipes and techniques confidential is to survive in a fiercely competitive market. However, it's not enough for a business to want to keep their recipes or techniques under wraps. They have to ensure that what they're trying to protect can legally qualify as a trade secret and, as a result, potentially be protected by the law. But it's not always clear what constitutes a trade secret according to the law. I spoke to attorney Lauren Handel, who broke down the legal components of a trade secret for me. The law of trade secrets is basically you can have rights in something, some intellectual property that you have exclusively if you keep it secret. So you have to take reasonable steps to keep it secret. 
And it's something that is not generally known outside of your company. So it's not something that your competitors would otherwise have easy access to. And it gives you a competitive advantage because it's a secret and because you hold it exclusively. And if you can prove that you own a trade secret, you are protected under the Federal Defense Trade Secrets Act and the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, both of which have been adopted by most states with some modifications. These acts protect restaurants and businesses from a rival business or a former employee from using or selling a secret family recipe or a specialized production technique for personal gain. While this all seems great for a restaurant or business, trade secret laws aren't always so straightforward. Often, trade secret rights can clash with employee rights. Those trade secrets can kind of, they do also come up against the rights of an employee to develop skills, to develop their trade, to hone their craft, which is, you know, in the restaurant industry, that's everything. It's it's who you work with and what knowledge they impart on you uh, helps make who you are as a valuable participant in the restaurant industry as an employee. That was attorney Jason Foscolo from the food law firm. The employer doesn't forego all of their trade secret rights, but you know, there's there's a point at which there will be friction between, you know, the needs of those two parties, one to maintain the security of a, and integrity of a train circuit and the other person to grow and develop their craft. And finding that um, black line in that gray space can be a little bit challenging. For instance, if a restaurant owner refuses to share a secret recipe with his employees, the chefs, it would be an example of a trade secret infringing on an employee's rights. But it is possible for a business to ensure that this does not happen. Jason suggests that a non-disclosure agreement could potentially protect both the employer and the employee. As long as both parties sign a confidentiality agreement, the law can still protect the trade secret and its owner, which in these cases is the employer. And the law can protect the owner of the trade secret even after the termination of an employment contract because of the confidentiality agreement. And then if the, um, if the employment ever terminates, you once again reiterate to the employee on their way out as, you know, hey, here's your severance. Good luck. We wish you the best. Also, as a reminder, don't discuss our, our trade secrets. Trade secret laws can protect major companies, prominent restaurants, and small businesses, which makes investing in these legal protections important. Despite the legal complexities, these secrets are an integral part of the industry. The food industry thrives on creativity and uniqueness, and protecting these innovations is the key to a successful business. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. 
To learn more, visit rt11.com. Welcome back to Meat and Three. We just saw how businesses in the food industry keep their secrets away from the public eye. But some secrets can't stay hidden forever. And while food holds many long-lasting secrets, people do too. Aviva Futornik unravels her own family secret and learns how a tall tale can become truth through food. When my grandma Marge was little, her grandmother Ruth charmed her with tales of the old country. Ruth told her that she grew up in Austria and brought her mother, two sisters, and brother to the Bronx via the Upper East Side when she was just 19. She was also known to spin whimsical fables about her life. She claimed that her great-uncle was a renowned Talmudic scholar, reviled by his community for his teachings. The thing was, many religious Jewish men spent their lives learning text. In that case, there were whole communities of renowned scholars. Ruth also claimed that she worked as a tailor for Kaiser Wilhelm II back in Europe. She always talked about this work with pride, even as the Kaiser spouted anti-Semitic rhetoric after his defeat in World War I. The story sits in the back of my mind. Did Ruth secretly work for the German emperor? Or was it a tall tale made up to charm her young grandchildren? While my grandma hardly believed Ruth's stories, she loved her cooking. Ruth always cooked old country food. The offal, or the organs, were delicious, as was the chopped liver, the schnitzel, and the blintzes. Even if something wasn't good, it was always soaked in gravy. My grandma's disbelief of Ruth's hidden royal attachment all changed in the 90s. On a business trip to Vienna, her Austrian colleague suggested a classic French bistro for dinner. She declined, instead requesting a traditional Viennese meal. Inside the homely wooden restaurant, smells of meat wafted in the air. When the plates full of Wiener schnitzel, Buschel, and sauerkraut arrived, she knew what it was. The food of her childhood her grandmother's cooking. My grandma hardly knew if Ruth was even from Austria. But now, from a bite of schnitzel, a whole childhood of stories became available. I set out on a search through the internet archives for any mentions of my great-great-grandmother. Could I prove that she was from Austria and lived in Germany? Could I connect her to the Kaiser? Listed as Rose on the 1930 federal census, she and her mother Lillian were listed as Yiddish speakers from Austria. An Ellis Island passenger record listed an 18-year-old Austrian female named Rosa, who arrived on the ship Pennsylvania from Hamburg in May 1900. Her last place of residence was Buchshore, a town that returned zero results upon a Google search. Like so many, the physical documents of my family history were lost in the pogroms. Food, however, traveled with people around the shifting borders of 19th century Eastern Europe, and eventually across the ocean on ships to North America. While my great-great-grandmother's secret teenage past remains so, her legacy is visible through the lasting flavors of her cooking. Aviva just showed us how food and cooking can be vessels of secrets across time and space. While some of these secrets carry forgotten family histories, Some help top chefs, caterers, or food stylists set themselves apart from the crowd. 
Reporter Annie Sherrick has gone on the search to uncover a few kitchen connoisseur's trusted secrets. Our first cooking whisperer is Susanna Moraldi. She's a graduate of Natural Gourmet Institute and now works as a private chef in New York City, where she caters dinners and cocktail parties and does meal prep for regular weekly clients. To Susanna, some of the most simple cooking techniques make all the difference in standing out as a caterer and chef among many in New York City. Always blanch green vegetables like string beans or broccoli when using them for crudité or salads. Blanching them preserve color, texture, and flavor. While we're on the subject of color, there's science behind this tip. The salt in the pot helps the chlorophyll from leaching into the water, so the vegetables don't come out a faded green. When cooking something that's red, blue, or white, don't use salt, but use a little acid, like lemon juice, to keep the color vibrant. All right, nerdy sidebar aside, back to blanching. A couple of more tricks about blanching vegetables. Use a large volume of well-salted water. Remember, blanching water should taste like the sea, so don't skimp on salt. Once done blanching, shock them in the freezer for about five minutes instead of using an ice bath. And even if you're not a huge cook, Susanna has a tip for you. Here's the easiest and fastest way to have really good roasted corn. The Trader Joe's frozen roasted corn. It's really, really good and a great hack. All right, now that we've all added the Trader Joe's corn to our shopping list, next we hear from Kathy Cook. She's the owner of Minnie's Bake Shop in New York City. Before she started her business about 10 years ago, she was a prop stylist working on food shoots for magazines, websites, and advertising. She shares some of the wisdom from making food not only taste, but look delicious. A fully roasted turkey or chicken gets very wrinkled. So what food stylists do and don't tell you is they only cook it until it's about it's golden in color and then they brush it with a mix of Worcestershire sauce or soy sauce in water they brush it with that and cook it for about another 10 minutes so that the color is nice and golden brown the way a turkey or chicken should look. So um, that is the best way to shoot your uh, shoot poultry if you're roasting it. Now, while undercooking your chicken might not sound like a cooking tip, if you really want to get that Instagram-worthy shot, a little salmonella may briefly be on the table, literally. Another thing is um, if you are doing garnishes or you are... Um, photographing a bun or something like that with seeds. Uh, it's best to get a plain bun or piece of bread or loaf of bread, whatever it is, and then finding the best, let's say it's going to be sesame seeds, find getting sesame seeds and pulling out the best looking sesame seeds, applying them to the top of the bun very carefully with a little bit of, well, edible glue works really well. And how on earth are we placing sesame seeds one by one on our burger bun? Well, Eli Dunn, a graduate of Institute of Culinary Education, who spent many years working in restaurants, shares maybe the quickest and easiest tip that even the most amateur chef can have on hand, tweezers. I use tweezers a lot when I cook for, you know, s flipping and grabbing small pieces of food, trying small bites of whatever I'm making, 
testing doneness, you know, like sticking the tweezers into potatoes or squash or whatever you're cooking to see if it's done. You know, you can also use tweezers for plating. You know, they're very, very useful in many different ways. And I always just keep it in my pocket in my apron. So super accessible. You know, they're like mini tongs. Now, whether you want to impress your friends with a beautiful blanched green bean or just feel a little bit more confident taking that perfect food photo, try out these awesome secrets from cooking pros. So go ahead, undercook that turkey, salt your water, grab your mini tongs, and let's get cooking. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Learn more about this week's guests and topics in our show notes. Special thanks this week to Annie Sherrick, Aviva Fitornik, Bianca Garcia, Vaidehi Kudyadi, and Zoe Gruskin. Meet and Three is produced by Kevin Chang Barnum, Matt Patterson, and me, Katie Mosman Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, Write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.